You're listening to the Plain Label Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Williams, and in this episode, we begin a discussion on the career of director Darren Aronofsky with the 2008 film The Wrestler. Here to discuss the film with me is returning guest, Mr. Will Pfeiffer. Hello. Before getting into our discussion, I should mention that this podcast is brought to you by the Deliberate Noise Network. Head over to DeliberateNoise.com and check out some of the other shows that are over there. And we are also sponsored by Audible. For you, the listeners of Plain Label Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check them out. For this episode, our Audible recommendation is Wrestling with the Devil by Mr. Lex Lex Luger, I almost said Lex (laughs) Luger, and John Hollis. This audiobook was performed by Johnny Heller. It is over six hours long, and it retails for $19, but it can be yours today for free. And the synopsis of what Wrestling with the Devil is about goes like this, Lex Luger... Wrestling mega sensation and three-time world heavyweight champion ruled the ring for years as the total package. Whether he was making a dramatic entrance from a helicopter, defeating champ Hulk Hogan, or sculpting a near-perfect physique, Lex was on top of his game. Yet backstage he was wrestling with addictions to sex, drugs, and alcohol, things he clung to even when his mistress died suddenly of a drug overdose, and Lex went to jail. There, Lex faced the truth. He was losing the fight for his life, and still awaiting him was his most brutal opponent yet, when the wrestling champ found himself helplessly paralyzed from the neck down. In Wrestling from the Devil, Lex Luger reveals never-before-told stories from his career, his struggle with personal demons, and how through unexpected faith, grace, and redemption, he overcame all odds to fight the only battle that really matters. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash plainlabel. Again, that's Audibletrial dot com slash plain label for your free audiobook. So Mr. Pfeiffer, before we get into the yes. world of of Randy the Ram and Darren Aronofsky, what are you drinking this evening? Uh I'd I'd love to come to you with some sort of, you know, a good uh, all American beer like Randy the Ram might drink, but instead, uh because I'm an old man, I'm drinking bubbler antioxidant sparkling water. It promises to boost energy and restore my balance. I like so. that <laughs> I like that it's an antioxidant. That is a key mm-hmm. component. <laughs> of course. It's not something that Randy the Ram would probably have in his little prescription bag, I would I would assume. <laughs> You would have something a lot more potent, I would think. Yeah, I would think so. I am, uh, I figured I was, I was trying, I was looking around the little cabinets and trying to think of something that would be appropriate. And I guess when I think of this film and I think of a drink that would go with it, I decided on doing a Red Bull and vodka because I figured uh-huh. your standard kind of energy drink and your kind of, uh, like fratty sort of douchey kind of guy that is yeah. like, oh fucking hey man, kind of that kind of guy would drink Red Bull vodka, and that's kind of you know that's kind of where I'm going with that. That's it feels like a a Randy the Ram kind of a brew. Although I think it didn't he do tequila uh, mostly yeah. throughout the movie. So I think he did. Yeah, when he would go to the the strip club and yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Tequila and I don't mix super well, so I figured that's not that's not a thing for this eve. Okay. So, Although, 
interesting, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll your judgment on this one. That's right. Okay, so with that, I think we're ready to discuss the film. It is from 2008, and again, it is called The Wrestler. Get some more work. All I got is weekends. Isn't that when you sit on other dudes' faces? You have a beer with me? <laughs> One beer. You have a daughter? Oh, my daughter. She don't like me very much. You should call her. What do you want from me? I'm an old, broken-down piece of meat, and I deserve to be all alone. I just don't want you to hate me. You see me, but I Two words. Rematch. Bring it. You know, with a little luck, this could be my ticket back on top. Tell me, friend, can you ask for anything? 80s man, best ever. Guns and Roses. Crew. Yeah, then that Cobain had to come around and ruin it all. <laughs> 90s sucked. 90s sucked. These things that have comforted me, I drive away. My only faith's in the broken bones and bruises I display. You know, the only place I get hurt is out there. I'm really here. This life, you lose everything you love, everything that loves you. A lot of people told me that I'd never wrestle again. The only one who's going to tell me when I'm through doing my thing is you people here. That'll work. Come here. <laughs> and the IMDb plot synopsis. So this is actually from Amazon.com because the IMDb ones were so atrocious that I could not even bring myself to read <laughs> the synopses. So this one's from Amazon. And it says, a powerful portrait of a battered dreamer, ex-professional wrestler, Randy the Ram Robinson, played by Mickey Rourke who, despite himself and the odds stacked against him, lives to be a hero once again in the only place he considers home, inside the ring. So, Will, tell me your history. Well, tell me, since we're talking about Darren Aronofsky for this episode and the next episode, Mm -hmm. tell me your history with him first, and then tell me about your history with this film. Okay. um, Well, I... uh, And I will obviously talk more about this, I, I guess, next episode, but I... Um, I saw Aronofsky's first, uh, movie, his first, I guess, feature length movie, Pi, in the, in the theater when it oddly enough played in Rockford back in 1998. Somehow wow. I, I know, I dragged my, uh, then girlfriend, now wife to it, and she, uh, she put up with it, and, uh, <laughs> and I, you know, and it's, well, again, we'll talk about this more, but it's a, you know, it, it's, it feels like a first film, but you can definitely see sort of, the talent and the vision behind it. Like this is a guy who's bringing something different to the screen, you know, and he, he, and it's not just, 
somebody trying to make the average film. I mean, they obviously have a, an idea in mind and they have a very specific way they want to get that idea across. Mm-hmm. Then I also, I saw Requiem for a Dream a couple years later in the theater, which is very <laughs> different and a very intense experience, yes. I would say. Um, one that I, I don't know, it's it's the kind of movie you don't really don't want to say enjoyed, <laughs> but uh, I was very impressed by it. And I have, I've seen it more than once. I got it on DVD when I was... Um, reviewing movies for the paper. So I actually recommended that one to an unsuspecting, uh, you know, newspaper reading audience. I, I never heard any feedback if anyone watched it and was horrified, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I saw that. And then I actually even, um, I was in, uh, New York city of all things on a business trip and I had some time to kill. So I went down to the Angelica theater. Cause I'm like, I'm going to see a, you know, a cool movie in New York. And I saw the fountain his mm. third on mm-hmm. the, and that, the thing I find interesting about Aronofsky, especially as we move into sort of the wrestler and Black Swan and Noah and Mother, is they all feel like they're in Aronofsky films. But, you know, Pi is very different from The Fountain, is very different from The Wrestler, is very different from Noah, is very different from Mother, I think. But you can sense sort of the obsessive sensibility behind all of those movies and um you know ironically the wrestler which if i had to pick is probably my favorite darren aronofsky movie that one i don't think i did see in the theater i think i saw it on dvd when it came out but i had heard a lot about it um i had heard if if, when it came out there was so much buzz about mickey Rourke, like Mm -hmm. you know because you know now it's almost kind of hard to remember when mickey Rourke was young when he was in diner and you know rumblefish and some other movies i mean he was seen as you know, a real up and comer, like, you know, a guy who was mentioned, you know, like a young De Niro kind of a thing. Uh-huh. And then, you know, he did whatever he did with his career and sort of with his looks, you know, cause he was a really, you know, his, his, he was very attractive when he was younger and, you know, and, and then he just sort of looked beaten and, you know, whatever story steroids he'd used and he was, I think he was boxing and yeah, he yep, yep. up his face. So, but I mean, I'm, I know some critic, in fact, it's on the trailer for the wrestler, but they're like, this is the perfect match of, you know, actor and character kind of a thing. Because though the movie is about Randy the Ram, it almost feels like it's about Mickey Rourke to this redemption story of a guy who sort of burned all his bridges and, and candy come back. And so when I saw it, I was blown away by it. I, I've seen it several times. I've, I once, uh, a friend and I once watched in one sitting, this and Big Fan. Have you ever seen Big Fan? No, no. It's um well the connection to the wrestler is it also was written by um Robert Siegel, mm-hmm. who I believe was an onion writer once upon a time. But, really? Um, wow, that's a nice little so. bit of nugget. Yeah. Yeah. And he but and Big Fan, real quick, is uh, is definitely worth watching. And Siegel directed that one, so it doesn't have, you know, sort of the the vision of an Aronofsky, but it's about an obsessive um, New York Giants fan played by Patton Oswalt in a non-comedic performance. It's a very dark movie. I mean, you know, it's one of those movies that could be called a dark comedy, but it's pretty grim. And he's very obsessive, and it just sort of peaks in his sad little life. So it makes it makes both a great pairing with the wrestler, but it's also maybe the bleakest uh, double feature you're going to see in a while. Is uh, is Patton Oswalt playing a Jets fan in that? Is that what he is? It's a Jets. This I feel like an idiot but i thought it was a giant thing. okay because i feel like i i feel like i remember this movie poster i know that i have not seen it oh it is it's yeah it's definitely let me uh 
Yeah, it's I'm. Oh, it is a Giants one because he's got the yeah. red and blue. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, you're but right. But he has a, like a rivalry with an Eagles fan played by Michael Rappaport, who it's only over sports <laughs> talk radio, and it's and it's like it's it, it's highly recommended. I mean, it's it's a really good movie. It's it's very it goes in a lot of places you don't expect, but it's also a very sort of ground level movie. I mean, it's not nearly as the I wouldn't describe the wrestler as glamorous, but this never hits those heights of glamour. Really. Interesting. Interesting. I guess if I would have, if I were casting someone to play like an obsessive fan, I think Michael Rappaport is pretty spot on. He's he, good. He's only in it a little bit, but he's good when he's in it. it yeah. It he's the kind of guy that, I mean, in, in real life, even he's real high <laughs> and, and real low. He's a, very, he's a human roller coaster. That one. And Patton is is really good. I mean, it's a it's a dramatic performance, and he's excellent in it. So yeah, interesting. Right, well, there's a little shout out for Big Fan. I like that. Oh. Uh, so you saw this, you quite enjoyed it. Um, did you continue on with Black Swan, Noah, Mother, all those? I did. And in fact, I think you know as much as I I love the wrestler, but I am pretty sure that that's the only one I. Oh no, I didn't see Noah in the theater. <laughs> but uh, and Noah's probably my least favorite. I loved Black Swan. Um, Noah, I can kind of appreciate it, although I do think there's a scene in Noah while they're on the arc where Noah, played by Russell Crowe, he he sort of tells the creation story to his family. Have you seen this scene? No, I have not seen this. Oh, if you, I mean, if you don't want to watch the whole movie, like, search, like, creation story Noah on YouTube, because somebody, it's about seven minutes long, and it is great. It's like... It's it's hard to explain, but it's like sort of the continuous story of the planets forming and people or the animals, you know, coming out of the sea and onto land and evolving and then war. But it's 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 like a great short film. Hmm. I highly recommend it. But I then, just, oh. yeah, I just remember that uh, when Noah came out, one of my coworkers was like, "Oh, that's not how it really happened at all." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> oh boy." <laughs> Oh boy, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you and I should not talk about movies, friend. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. Uh, yeah, it's not really how it happened at all. Let's stay away and, from religion too. So, real quick, and I'm sure again we'll talk about this, but um, I did see my uh, it, the timing worked out perfectly because my daughter was up at her grandparents, so my wife and I are like, let's go see a new movie this weekend. Let's see this movie, Mother, that everyone's talking oh, about. Boy. Mm-hmm. And um. You know, if you remember, the trailer was very vague about what happens in Mother, and it almost made it look like it was a Rosemary's Baby kind of thing, maybe or uh, something. So we're like, we love Rosemary's Baby, so let's go see this, and it is not Rosemary's Baby. I would like to clarify. And you know, that one again, like Requiem for a Dream, it's it's hard to say you enjoyed it, mm. but I definitely appreciated it, and I kind, I mean, it's a grueling experience, but I did kind of like it in a weird way and i definitely admired it and i was so glad i saw it opening night so i was sort of the next you know monday when everyone was like what the hell was that i actually sort of knew what they were all talking about nice nice i've become an expert in dodging spoilers so i have yet to see mother obviously i'll watch it i'll watch it before our discussion i will not say anything else although i will just say this um when we saw the movie there was I mean, there was, you could sense the audience like tensing up and throughout the movie, but there was one part where there were walkouts and Ooh, when you watch nice. it, yes. see if you can guess when that scene is and I'll bet you can <laughs> guess. Okay. Awesome. I do. I mean, my wife and I are not, uh, are not shy about those sorts of films. Like we both quite enjoyed 
Um, <laughs> we both enjoyed it. I always hesitate to mention this, but we both quite enjoyed Antichrist by Lars von Trier. Oh, I, you know, that one, and I got to admit, I, I haven't seen it because Lars von Trier, sometimes um, one of my wife and I, our first dates, um, we saw uh, Breaking the Waves. Oh, yeah. Oh, gee, yeah. Well, that's kind of an intense one. That, but, that um, is an intense one, yes. Yeah, but yeah. this we're, we're hoping to see um, Hereditary this week. Which Ooh, is yes. So Ooh. we so we saw um, a Quiet Place, or is it a Quiet Place or the Quiet Place? Oh, yeah, we saw that. I thought that was pretty good. I thought it was good too. And I, one of the things I liked about it, and this is a long ways to getting around to the wrestler, <laughs> but that's okay. That's fine. Um, but so one of the things that I liked about it was I was like, oh man, look at John Krasinski. He does everything that a competent director is doing that is like at the beginning of his career. It felt like. Because he was setting everything up, and then he was paying everything off, and he was a little bit surprising here and there. But everything right. was, like, very textbook, like, here is how you direct a film. And I really like that. And then, then we have the surprise towards the end of uh, it sort of works out not in the way that I expected the third act to end. I agree. And I and was like, oh, wow, okay. Without spoiling again, I think there was a surprise right at the beginning, too. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, then, because... Well, and that was what I was saying was like the beginning, you're like, oh, okay, this is going to be the third act reveal to where right. this, this person doesn't understand the world. And then it happens right away and you're like, holy moly. I liked it. And you know, I, it's amazing how much tension you can get from showing a nail coming out of a. a oh, I mean, the, the. <laughs> The similarities to that in Home Alone. I mean that that Home Alone thing still makes me still makes me cringe, even when watching that with the family, you know. And so uh, when I saw that, I was like, "Oh no, oh, don't make me do this again, John." <laughs> I know it was good. It was solid. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean the cast was great. The kids were really good in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, it's always good. Yeah. And then, uh, so yeah, so the Hereditary trailer was at the beginning of that movie for us. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, Tony Collette, this looks amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I told my wife, I'm definitely going to go see this. And she's like, well, you're going by yourself. I said, absolutely fine. Oh, (laughs) yeah. My wife, she's like, let's go see it. And I mean, I I don't know. I mean, she's pretty tough, but sometimes (laughs) I hope she realized, because I haven't read anything about it, but I know people are saying like, you know, this is a little bit of a rough one, so we'll mm. see. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so my history with Darren Aronofsky, uh, I didn't see Pi till later, but I did see Requiem for a Dream sort of right as it had come out mm-hmm. on DVD, basically. Uh, it was It's one of those classic one-timers for me, even though I bought it. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, especially once again towards the third act of that film, once we get to all of the quick cuts and all of the characters yes. and where they what they turn into. And I'm like, oh, very rough. Ellen Burstyn, of course, gets a lot of attention for that movie. And it was uh, it's like nightmarish, I think, is the best way that I can describe that. Oh, completely. That but but yeah, so very, very good. Uh, the Fountain, uh, one of my regular co-hosts or guest host, however I want to describe it, on the uh, the day, I guess. He and I, Mr. Sean Stenglin, and I talked about The Fountain, um, and I quite enjoy that film. I, I, like th- I like movies that, if they miss, they miss because they overreach on what they're trying to do. I completely agree. Yeah, and so I really enjoyed that. And then, you know, when uh, this movie was coming out, there were, there was all of the talk about mickey rourke like you mentioned and i was like oh okay the wrestler so i did see this in theater as well 
or I did see this in theaters, and then I saw Black Swan in theaters, and then there was that four-year gap, right? and it was Noah, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for more Bible stuff, because growing up, I was very much in a religious home, to where I was a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night church kind of a oh, guy. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so all of this was uh, well-tread, <laughs> I guess. Like, oh, man, we got to do this again. Um, but I will say when, uh, I guess about 15 years ago or so, before I, when I was uh, going to the University of Nebraska here in Lincoln, and I took a class, and it was one of my last classes that I took, and it was a Judeo-Christian lit class. Uh-huh. And so we read the Bible, but we read the Bible as if it was a regular novel. Okay. And so okay. we talked about character arcs and plot holes, and we talked about the structure of the book and that sort of thing, and completely fascinating. Like, okay. I, I had uh-huh. so I much that. fun with it being like, well, this character drops off. That is poor stereo- storytelling. <laughs> you know, and those were the sorts of discussions that we would have in class, and I was like, oh, my God. That, uh, that was wonderful. So when Mother came out, like I said, I haven't seen it yet, um, but that's more of a... A byproduct of me now also being a teacher and just not being able to make the time to go and see things in theaters. Sure. And so that's kind of where, uh, where I've been on that. And I guess as of recording, this is known, but I'm actually taking the school year off to finish my master's. I have like two. Oh, wow. And so I will hopefully be able to get caught up on a lot of. A lot of different movie stuff because it's like the last four years or so has been a little bit of a a movie hole outside of the outside of the shows, you know. And and we usually don't pick movies that are in theaters, not to steal your former show's tagline or anything. We pick <laughs> we pick movies that are usually not in theaters anymore. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yes, the wrestler. Let's go ahead and dig into this. Tell me, you obviously enjoy the film, I believe. I remember you gushing about the wrestler. Yeah, I really one of the out of theater podcasts. Tell me what it is about the film that you enjoy so much. You know, I think it's. I mean, the the plot is pretty. You know, it's the plot's pretty standard. There's a wrestler. He's nearing the end of his rope. He sort of wants to make one more grab at glory, while also, you know, facing the fact that he's getting older and reconnecting with his daughter. And but I think it's. I I think it. I like it because it's. It's just such a great character study. It's all about. You know, Randy the the Ram and and Mickey Work brings him to life so well, and and you just get these details. He see it. He seems like a fully lived in character, and it seems like he exists in a realistic lived in world. I mean, you see his. There's a great the the opening the opening credit scene is is sort of a. It's just panning all these old magazines. Oh, and, and I had so many of these. Yeah, <laughs> and it you know, and I I'm not a big wrestling guy now but in the you know back in the 80s when were randy's glory days but back when you know it was first you know the wrestlemania and hulkamania and all that i mean i was into it we were all into it so i you know i i really i enjoyed that that was the glory days he was sort of looking back at then he has an action figure and he has this, (laughs) this young kid who comes over to his trailer and they he always wants to play the wrestling game where he was a character, mm-hmm. and the kid kind of wants to play the new video games. But he's, you know, it's not as easy as like, oh, the kids are all laughing at him because he's old. The kids, you know, they all like him, but it's kind of sad that this is how he lives his life. And you know, you get the details of, you know, the behind the scenes and how, 
you know, they, they fake cuts and, and how everyone is really just, uh, you know, they're all friends and they're, they're just actors are just playing a role. And he's seen as sort of the, you know, the grand old man who's like, you know, telling the up and comers, you have some real talent, you know, and you know, you could have a career. And, and I also like how they don't really do what, you know, what could be an easy way out where, you know, there's another wrestler who's kind of called the bad wrestler. Who's oh, gonna, right. They're none of them. Even I love how at the end when he wants his his big, you know, he's doing this rematch with uh, his old enemy, the Ayatollah, you know, which <laughs> is like an kind of guy. And he like, you know, they're talking. He's like he runs a car lot or something, I think. And they're like complete buddies. And right at the end when Randy makes his big speech in the ring about how like this is the only place he feels at home and it's he just thanks all the fans like the Ayatollah, well, the. I can't remember what his real name is, but he's standing there and you get the feeling that they all kind of love him. It's really, you know, it's a, it's a brutal movie in a lot of ways, but I also think it's, it's a touching movie. And I think the ending and how it ends is like, I think it's really powerful and it's, it's really not sweet, but it, it really is kind of touching and it's both sad, but also triumphant in a very strange way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. I think that, uh, I had I had a lot of similar feelings, you know. The those credits come out, and I I put that the credits are perfect because we have and and the reason that I put the Lex Luger book on mm-hmm. there is because that's who a lot of the the photos were was oh, Lex, okay. was Lex Luger, and then it was edited to have Mickey Rourke's Mickey Rourke's face in there. Okay, okay. And so he's got a little bit of Lex Luger. He's obviously got a little Hulk Hogan. His finishing move is very Randy Savage. You know, right. he's, he's like kind of about three or four different guys kind of rolled into one there. Um, and I think that that beginning part was so perfect because I remember getting a few of those different magazines and it would, it would rank the different, uh, people from the different leagues, like who would beat who if they, you know, went against each other. And this is when I'm, you know, I'm like, probably seven to 10 years old or so. And I'm like, oh, this is definitely for real. You know, and I'm like, well, if Ric Flair went against Hulk Hogan, who would win? And what about the Von Erichs and all this, you know, and all this sort of stuff from the from the early and mid 80s? Sure. And because and I was a big mid 80s fan with the WrestleManias. And then I came back around like the late 90s for about five or six years or yeah, so. I do. I know what you mean. Yeah. So it was like right around that sort of end of WCW with the Goldberg stuff and the B like the WWE and the rock and, and Steve Austin, like those were the sort of moments that I sort of paid attention to. And then now I, I couldn't tell I couldn't name like more, maybe three or four people that are in, in wrestling anymore. Yeah, I couldn't either. And uh, so I think that this is a nice bit of like nostalgia for me because it's like, Oh, I remember when I really cared about this sort of stuff. And I re- I'm glad that this is represented in Hollywood. And I have seen Beyond the Mat and all of these other <laughs> things mm-hmm. where part of it was set in Nebraska in my hometown. And, uh, you know, Jake the Snake's there and he's, you know, 50, 60 pounds overweight and he's <laughs> really struggling just to kind of make a go of things. And uh, I put down, you know, I wanted to ask you, do you think that there's any more of a devastating entertainment field than wrestling? Because you have, you know, actors grow old and, and especially like female actors don't get as much play as they get old. They're either like the young seductress or they're the moms, right? There's like no, there's like no in between. So that's kind of a harsh entertainment field, but it's like wrestling 
what else are you going to do? Where else are you going to go for most of these wrestlers? You know, yeah. it's just such a depressing field. It's bleak. And I mean, this movie, you know, portrays it so well that he has, you know, he really, his only other option is to work full time at this, at this, uh, you know, at the butcher counter in this supermarket that, you know, it's just a miserable little job. And his boss, um, you know, makes fun to play by comedian Todd Berry, just like, you know, looks down on him and mocks him the whole time. And yeah, it's, you know, his body is breaking down and uh-huh. it's just grim and he's got no, but I mean, that's the only, in the ring is the only time he can feel triumphant. And even that's fake, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. it's all prearranged and everything, but it's the time, you know, those are the times in the movie when he really feels, the character feels alive and feels, you can tell he's happy. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 and I like that. I'm glad that he is able to get some sort of satisfaction out of being in the ring to where his entire world isn't bleak. It's just everything outside of his one thing. Right, and even there's that great scene in the grocery store when he sort of brings some of his personality to the job when he's working the counter. Yes. You know, not the last scene when yes. the guy's arguing. <laughs> and he's like, you know, having fun with the customers, and you're like, you can see why this guy was beloved by fans because you know he's he's got some personality and he's fun to watch and and he's endearing and, and what's wonderful about that too will is that i accord this is all according to imdb so who knows if that's if it's real or not but they uh they claim that a lot of that is improvised just by mickey rourke to where like- to where aronofsky just said you know they would have regular customers come up and he was just treating them like he was working there it feels very real, you it know. It, it does feel very genuine, and he seems to be having a, a good old time, which makes it even sadder when you, they sort of replay it, and he he gets upset and he cuts himself, and there's blood on the meat, mm. and it all mm. you know, that all sort of leads to the you know the the end of the movie and that. Yes, yes. So one of the things that I put at the beginning is I love the shot where it's Randy sitting on the chair by himself. He's got the guy that uh, the promoter comes over and he hands him essentially like 20 bucks or whatever. And the first thing that I think always whenever I see that is I want so badly to see either a a comic book miniseries or a graphic novel or a movie or a comic book movie of this sort of a story. Because I feel like so often we get origins... And we get the beginnings, but we don't ever get a lot of the ends. Right, 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 right. And so I would just think that, you know, you've got this hero who's at the end where he knows he can't do it, but he doesn't know anything else other than doing it, than doing this thing. And, in you know, people are telling him not to, that sort of thing, yada, yada, yada. But that's what I always think whenever I see this. It's like this guy that's just beaten down and wants to just continue doing his thing that he's good at, but sort of age and life won't allow him to continue to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's, so. I think it's telling that even when, you know, you know we haven't even mentioned Marissa Tomei's character, yes. but Tripper, who is sort of, you know, she's definitely has a parallel story to his where she's an aging woman. I mean, let's face it, Marissa Tomei, she, she looked good in 2008. She still looks good 10 years later, but you know, she's older than the other dancers at the club and she's not getting the customers that they're getting. And she has a kid. You know, and so she's someone whose job depends on, you know, using her body to entertain people, too. And though it's not breaking down to the extent his is, you know, I'm sure she can sort of see, you know, the end is coming over the horizon. And, you know, she really feels like 
after some rough spots that maybe these two people can get together and, you know, they can, you know, they, they know that's how they can live out their remaining years, you know, and, and, and it's, it's very touching. And, but this movie doesn't, it's, this isn't that kind of movie. Mm-hmm. You know, he could easily, you know, go run off with her and, you know, however long he's going to live, have a pretty happy life. But he, you know, it's very important for him to, if he's going to go, he needs to go, you know, he needs to die like he lived and he needs to, he needs to make that happen in the ring. Yeah. Well, let's, let's skip to that point. So we had the scene where the two of them basically have the, the breakup, right? Where they have the, we're not going to be friends anymore sort of moment. And then she comes back and apologizes and it seems like there's that opportunity like you said for them to maybe get together and end in a romantic comedy kind of a way to where everything is going to be all fine and then maybe the daughter who we also haven't mentioned uh West, right. Westworld's Evan Rachel Wood Evan Rachel Wood right um it seems like you know we'll have a story where the three of them will all make it work out in a traditional Hollywood film or in a lesser Hollywood film in my estimation that maybe would would be what would happen but instead Randy says you know f that here's this thing you can come watch me if you want mm-hmm. yeah come watch me you know he would be glad to see her there but he's going because he's doing his thing because he's decided you know he's given up on reconnecting with his daughter he's given up on the sort of normal life and he's going to just keep doing the wrestling thing Mm -hmm. and i love that because it's like you have the opportunity to change your life for the better or you can keep doing the same thing right and And it keeps doing the same thing keeps doing the same thing and i think you know no matter what he does with his life whether he stays at his job or reconciles with his daughter who we should point out he has screwed over Many, many times before the movie starts and during the movie, you know, he's you can't blame the daughter because he has disappointed her again and again and again. Mm-hmm. But I mean, but it's only he can do all that and sort of lead a normal life. But the only way he can lead a, a life that's more than normal is in the ring. That's where he you know, can do that. There's no other way that he can sort of grab for glory unless he's in the ring. And I like, too, that. You know, if this were, a, again, like a lesser movie, this rematch that he has would be in some stadium, mm-hmm. and it was a huge thing. And it's in a place, and the fans are there, but this is not a huge deal. You know, it's a small match with two old wrestlers coming back and some, you know, fans come to watch him. But this isn't like the end of Rocky or anything. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's I'm like just... it's like 100 guys maybe at most in the in the crowd. It's like a small – I was talking to somebody about this this movie, and they said, oh, is it like Rocky? Because I sort of described the plot, and I'm like, no, it's nothing like Rocky. For one thing, in Rocky, there's a chance he could win. In wrestling, it's all preordained whether he's going you know, to win or lose. It's, it doesn't come down to will he win this match. Mm-hmm. That's never a question at all. You know, it's just can he – you know, it's how is he going to go out? Is he going to go out – like Randy the Ram, or is he going to go out like Robin Ram Zinsky, his his real name? You know, right. I think it's kind of telling that his his I guess Randy too, but I was thinking Robin could be you know a man or a woman's name, and so it's almost like you know everything he did was to make himself just bigger and tougher, and mm-hmm. you know the Ram and all that. And and by the way, um, Marissa Tomei's character she has. You know, stage name too. It's I think her stage name is Cassidy. Yeah. Yep. It's Pam, which again is you know it's a it's a perfectly fine name, but it's it's not a 
glamorous stage name. Kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah, and I think the thing that is is interesting to note about her is it's also a tragic movie from her point of view because mm-hmm. she, if you think about how you know she's chasing this customer, she's blurring this line she said she wouldn't blur. She continually in the movie says that, she, oh, I don't mess with customers. I don't deal with them outside of work. And she makes an exception for him. But then he treats her like shit. He mm-hmm. still abandons her when she's trying to apologize. And then the end of the film happens. And so she's still in the same spot where she was. Right. So yeah, she's yeah. just chasing this man instead of having the sort of, I don't know if strength is the proper word, but having this sort of like independence to be like, you know what? You go do you. I'll be here if you want to come back and talk or something. But instead she goes and chases him sort of like how a romantic comedy again would would be. Uh, And I like the fact that they do show that, but they don't show the daughter doing that because the daughter's betrayed. The roommate is pissed and the daughter's like, I'm, I'm finished with you. Like I am done with you. This is it. Yeah, there's no scene of the daughter like showing up tearfully at the wrestling match or something or yeah. you know and he though you know where the sort of the final straw with the daughter is is when um you know they he gets in a fight with Pam and uh then he goes to you know he he what he gets drunk and he does some cocaine with a woman in the bathroom and then he's like hung over and sleeps through the the dinner date he was supposed to have with his daughter and so that was sort of you know, the final, he goes trying to patch that up, but you get the feeling this is the 10,000th time he's tried to, you know, apologize for doing something stupid. Mm-hmm. And then she's just had it with him. At that well, point. and I think what part of what makes Aronofsky a good director is some of the details that are in the films. And one of them that it is just so strange is she asks him, this, this young girl who looks like she's maybe in college, asks if uh he wants to party and he's like oh what do you mean what kind of party and they do they go do cocaine and they're having sex in the bathroom and that sort of stuff you're like oh okay it's a sort of celebrity type uh interaction that you can kind of imagine and then he wakes up in a room and she's got all of these firemen uh, posters all over and you're like that is such an odd like character thing that's not that's not necessary like he could just wake up and then leave yeah. Right, but those are just odd little details that are put in there, and I'm like, wow, what is the psychosis of this woman? Like, what is her life like? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. You get the feeling that every character he meets is somebody, you know, the like I said, the Ayatollah or the younger wrestlers. Mm-hmm. They all feel like we just happen to be following Randy, but any of these other characters could have a movie all their own. Mm-hmm. You know, one other thing I was going to say because we were talking earlier about how. I mean, if you see Pi or Noah or um, rather uh, The Fountain or Requiem for a Dream, all the movies that came before this, they are so visually just like assaultive, yes. you know, for good or for bad. But they are really there. This movie is very um, not bland, but it's sort of very low key. I mean, he puts you in this world, but it's not like there are hallucinations or crazy dream sequences or mm-hmm. weird camera angles. It's very, you know, just straightforward, although you do get. Tons of shots of sort of the camera following, like, right behind Randy. Yes, exactly. And right behind Cassidy as well. Right, right, right. You really get the feel. And then when he walks in the ring, it's like, you're walking in the ring. When she walks on stage, you're walking on stage. Mm-hmm. And he, this movie just does such a great job of building a completely realistic world 
a low rent world, you know, not a glamorous world, and then putting you in it, and you can just pick out the details here and there, and, and yeah, it's yeah. Just, what I, well, what I like about it is is you have things like following the guy into the ring, and you're like, oh, of course, you're gonna follow him in there. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll see what his life is like, and then you have the same sort of long tunnel walk when he's going to the deli counter for the first time. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And you watch that and you don't think, oh wow, Aronofsky, what a what a directorial choice, right? You watch it and you're like, oh of course. Of course that's what you do. Of course you mirror it with him coming out on stage, right? Mm-hmm. It just is like, oh yeah, that's obviously what you should do. It's it's like a movie where it's like, oh, this is what a director does. This is exactly why he's good. You know, it's not anything like, um, like you were mentioning, it's not anything like, oh my God, look at this camera move or look at this CGI or look at the way that they pulled this trick off. It's just a lot of very solid choices, very, um, you know, things all connect because like I said, you have Cassidy and she's doing the same thing where she's walking out and you're following her and and you're just getting a really well-made, very solidly directed film. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. Oh, I agree. And for a movie where, you know, I, you know, it's about a wrestler and there's things in the ring. I mean, when I think about this movie, I think of basic, like the close up shots of characters and conversation. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Mickey Rourke, as we've said, you know, he really messed himself up, you know, just physically in a lot of ways. And Aronofsky just uses that. I mean, you just stare at his face and his body, you know, and there's scenes when he takes off his shirt and it's mm-hmm. just, I mean, it's, he's, he's ripped. That's definitely true, but it's just, it looks rough and it looks like there you can see every one of the years of mileage on that body and face and it you know it it just adds so it just makes it feel more real that this is a real person you're looking at even though obviously it's a performance but it just has this verisimilitude that that really adds to the story well and that's why i was i was so pleased when he was announced to do this and i saw the first trailer because you know i'd seen sin city and liked it for what it was going for and and i was like oh that makes absolute sense that marv who mickey rourke's looking much different than what we know him to look like right that he is going to be this wrestler and then that's why especially when i first and this is why you know people that edit together trailers are just geniuses i think for the most part is iron man 2 who the trailer for that comes out. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, it's Robert Downey Jr. And it's, it's you know, Randy the Ram. I know. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is going to be so good. It's like, we were going to have some Whiplash and we're going to have some Iron Man. And, and Sam Rockwell. Just, and Sam Rockwell. <laughs> and then it just came out and was just such a, yeah, like, studio-interfered mess-looking mm-hmm. of a movie. And I think that that's one of the things that I admire about Aronofsky, because there's been all of those rumors about, oh, he was going to do the Wolverine, yeah. and he was going to do a Batman movie, okay. and and instead he just kind of, for the most part, does his own thing. Yeah, very much. I mean, you, he's one of those guys that when, you know, when this when I heard this was coming out, I'm like, oh, Mickey Rourke, that'll be good, but really, I was thinking, oh, the guy that did Pie, the guy <laughs> that did Requiem for a Dream, you know, I mean, when Mother came out, I wasn't going to see it, because you know, uh, Jennifer Lawrence was in it. I was going to see it because what? Darren Aronofsky's doing this weird looking movie. Well, that's going to be worth watching, yeah. you know, and it was. Well, <laughs> and I feel like outside of people that pay a little more attention than most to films, I think that Aronofsky is a guy that 
most people don't know. Oh, I would agree. Yeah, you know? I don't think so. And he's not done a ton of films. He's up to like, like seven or so, maybe. I think so, yeah. And, and he's been working for almost 20 years. So it's not like he pumps movies out left and right. Yeah, 20 year Pi came out 20 years ago. Yeah, which we have our 20 year high school reunion this summer, which I'm definitely not going to, but, but I was I like, enjoyed mine. I was like, was, wow, 20 years ago. Oh my God. 20 year reunion. Mm. I'm an old man. That was long. Even that was long ago. <laughs> so I just, I just think that one of the things that's just so interesting for me is you mentioned this right at the beginning was he, does so many different films and they're, they all feel like they're from him, but they are all definitely very distinct, Mm -hmm. you know, because you couldn't say, Oh, Hey, the wrestler, that's really similar to the fountain or Requiem for a dream. Mm -mm. Right. Especially by this scene. Um, one of the things that I wanted to make sure and mention is this. First of all, I think that the, the sort of boys backstage, like them sort of congratulating each other and planning the bumps and planning the spots and all that sort Mm -hmm. of stuff. I think that that's so much fun. Just from back when I was in the the wrestling thing and because I'm a little OCD and a little obsessive sometimes <laughs> is, is, you know, reading up on stuff and reading different books and, and trying to be like an inside guy and knowing the sort of inside things that would happen between these different wrestlers. Right. Uh, so I, I did appreciate that. And then um, I think this movie is filled well, filled. I think it has about three different scenes where it is really tough for me to watch. Yeah, it's that kind of movie. Yeah, and I like that they do them in different ways. So the first one we have is the kind of no hold, no holds barred match with, right, the, right, right. with the guy that's basically, that's essentially Terry Funk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that they show the aftermath of that right away. And they're saying, well, here's the end result. And then they go back and show what happened throughout the, the match. Exactly. Exactly. That's a nice way to do it. Yeah. And then later we have um, the one that I think is more uh, is more tough to take just as a person <laughs> who likes to write and a person who likes to be associated with like the, the comics movie sort of industry. The... Mm-hmm. The sort of hotel lobby where he's signing autographs right. and no one's there. It's rough. People are sleeping. And it makes me think of Virgil. And it makes me think of, <laughs> of any, you know, con I've been to and there's just no one at someone's table. I know. It breaks your heart. Yeah. And it makes me think, you know, of the, the brief time where I had signed and like, there'd only been a couple of people that went up there and I was like, Oh, wonderful. You want me to sign something? Like, absolutely. Oh. I'll do that. Right? I've been there. And yeah, you, yeah. you get, and it's, you know, you, the thing is, is you can't blame the people who did come, uh-huh. you know, and it's, and you, you feel for him because he's very, you know, he, he craves that attention and he, you know, he wants it. And, and, but you know, it's completely realistic that, yeah. you know, so it's, we, and it's, yeah, it's yeah. good. So we have those two scenes. And then of course the one that we've, already mentioned is that final deli scene and the lady who keeps saying a little more, a little less, a I little know. more. Oh. And I'm like, Oh, oh woman. Ooh. You know, cause in the, in the customer service industry that I am once again, back in, in, uh, in, uh, <laughs> helping manage a golf course, I'm like, Oh, customer service is rough. And so having that scene. And then I think the thing that does it to me is, you know, he's sitting there and he's eating the salad Right. He's mm-hmm. eating a little pasta salad 
and I have to, I put down in the notes that I paused the movie because I had to like pause it and look at my phone for a while because I knew what was coming, but I was just like, oh, I just, I mean, <laughs> I'm sitting there, I wrote down, God damn it, Will, this scene. <laughs> and you know what makes it worse, I think, is you've seen the other scene in the deli, you've seen how happy he can be. Mm-hmm. You've seen, you know, that, that this could be a positive experience if the customers are into it and if he's having kind of fun, but all it takes is just a little bit to turn the whole thing into something. Yeah. And I, and the thing that puts it over the top for me is obviously we have the big showy, like him with blood on himself, right? But mm-hmm. it, it's the fact that he looks down at that cheese or that meat or whatever it is that he's cutting and he decides to just ram his thumb in there. Mm hmm. And holy shit, like, you know, growing up in a family that owned a restaurant and had, yeah. to, and had to cut with that exact machine mm-hmm. over and over and over and over to imagine just jamming your finger in there. Holy shit, would I never do that? Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> and so to see that and then he obviously snaps and we have the him sort of bloodletting like he's doing at the beginning of the movie when he's when he's hiding the razor and all that sort of thing. And, and, mm-hmm. and again, it you know, it mirrors the beginning and. And sure. I want to I want to say that you know the times are not too far off to where we have ten minutes left to the end and we have ten minutes into the beginning where that scene is the same you know yeah. and those sorts of little editing things that again if I if I was a a movie editor I'd never let go of a movie because I just continually George Lucas it until it would never ever release you know um, but that's the sort of thing that I I think is really is really important. Because I think that it's like that seeps into your mind without you consciously sort of thinking about it. Right. I think yeah. a lesser movie, like we keep saying, like, well, here's what a Hollywood movie do. They <laughs> right. would probably have like some he would look down at his thumb and like then there'd be a flashback to him like cutting with the little razor blades. Mm-hmm. And then oh, I remember this audience, but in this one you know, even if you don't like think of it at the moment, it's just all happened and it all is kind of working together in your head as you watch this story. It's all building up. Yeah, if there's only, if there's one thing that I I wish that all creative people could have, it would be trust in the audience. Exactly. Exactly. I there's couldn't just, agree more. The over-explaining is just maddening. I just I uh, can't even. But uh so yeah, so let's talk about the ending. We've done a really good job of not really talking about the final scene so far. So, mm-hmm. what do you think we have this Ernest the Cat Miller fight is who the uh, the wrestler was in real life uh-huh. who plays the Ayatollah and he was a brief guy in the uh, in the WCW when I used to um, I used to work at my dad's restaurant and record those on a VHS tape and I <laughs> and I knew I knew that I had to run it a little bit long because it always run you know because I was a big Goldberg person and it would always wow. run a little bit over and. And it was, you know, two minutes left on the recording, and then he'd finally come out. And I was like, well, this match is going to be trash, you know. But I remember this guy, and I was like, god dang, that guy is really familiar. And then it was Ernest Miller who was in uh, wrestling briefly. So that's who plays the Ayatollah. Uh, I love it. The Ayatollah is played by Ernest Miller. <laughs> Ernest Miller, yeah. And he's, like, not the not the proper sort of uh, ethnicity that... Oh, not even the close. Ayatollah yeah. would be or anything. So I think that that's funny. I also do like that, you know, the guy's still how he was. He's like, oh, it's just going to be like that, huh? And he's like, yeah, you're the heel. I'm the, I'm the face. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> You're the good guy. I'm the bad guy. Because that guy seems like his life is, you know, he's he's, you know, he's doing this kind of for the heck of it. But mm-hmm. he's got a car lot and he's successful, and it's yeah. kind of like, yeah, I'll do it. It'll be fun. And, and I you know, like he's the, not in the same place as Randy is. That's right. Think. And I like the fact that they're that he's sort of looking out for each other. Right, right, right. And he's like, no, just pin me. You know, you're all right, all that sort of thing. And and I've seen way too many wrestling matches where you can tell someone gets hurt and then it kind of ends in a way that you didn't really expect. Or you can right. see, you know, I, I remember uh, a uh, a match in, like, I think it was the 90s in, in uh, a Triple H, who I think is still wrestling. But oh, yeah. he but he had a deal where, like, his whole quad muscle, like, ripped from his kneecap. <laughs> and you can see it just rippling up his leg. Because they do a slow-mo thing to where it completely detaches. And you can just see it, like, balling up his leg as it goes. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit. No wonder he just laid on the ground and the dude covered him and then they got it over with. So did you see the, the re- real quick, did you see the recent documentary about Andre the Giant that was on HBO? Oh, you know what? I have that to, I have that on my little watch list thing. And I have that to watch. But, no, I haven't got around to seeing it, it yet. It's great. And especially, I mean, this won't spoil anything, but at the end when Andre was sort of really... In decline, they they talked to the wrestlers who were fighting him in these matches, and he would just essentially stand there, and then they would kind of work around him. Mm. They'd just try to bump into him and do yeah, that. Bump, and they knew what he could and couldn't do, and so you know they would they would have to build you know their whole matches on on what Andre you know I mean because it really is a, it, you know it's a performance it's a team effort out there. Yeah, well, it's not too dissimilar from when uh, you had discussed many moons ago the whole Princess Bride shoot. Of exactly. What, of yeah. what he could and couldn't do in his life, and that too. Yeah. And you've also spoken about uh, Box Brown's book, mm-hmm. I believe, right? So you're just yeah, the that, that, Andre the Giant aficionado, there, Will. I am. Well, I grew up <laughs> watching. You know, that was the Andre, the Hulk Hogan, Andre era. Gene, you know, Mean Gene Okerlund. That was mm-hmm. my wrestling era. So yeah, that. But that Andre thing, it's it's excellent. It's it's really good. Awesome. It's, it's it's fascinating. It's beautifully done too. It's really well. well- when I, when I was like way into the preview of it, and then it said something about Bill Simmons, Simmons being involved, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to love this. but I know what you mean. But I don't <laughs> think he's – his name's in the credits. I can't remember if he's actually on camera, though. I don't think that he is. But it just makes me think, like, what is the purpose of that other than, like, glossing him? Because exactly. it, that's not a draw for anyone, I wouldn't imagine. No, I can't imagine. I mean, you you watch that, you want to see footage of Andre, you want to see Hulk Hogan, who who talks a lot in it. You want to see Vince McMahon talk. You want to see you know Andre's family. You want to see all that stuff. Yeah, I have seen uh, I have seen wrestling with shadows because I was a big heart. I was a big uh, Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation and mm-hmm. and the Shawn Michaels stuff. Like that was sort of my that was right in the sweet spot for me. Like I liked the Hulk Hogan thing, and it was right in the Bret Hart being in. Being the man was where I was real right. into the wrestling. And so with the sort of decline that he's been in, and, and, you know, it's one false spot, like one bump that doesn't go right, and mm-hmm. his life was basically ended. You Have know? you re- read the book? Um, this will be my last digression before we get back. No, you're fine. Have you read the book, um, The Squared Circle? By It's by um, David Shoemaker, who he, he wrote a column for uh, – Deadspin called Dead Wrestler of the Week for a long time. And this is sort of that book, but redone and collected. And it's all about, it's just like a history of wrestling. Squared Circle? Wrestling. The Squared Circle. I, I don't watch wrestling at all now. I don't really care about wrestling much. This is one of my favorite books ever. 
Like one wow. of not just wrestling books. I love this book so much because I think it's about, you know, it's about wrestling, but it's about America and it's about pop culture and it's about, you know, fame and it's about sex and it's about sexism and racism and it's it and it's so entertaining and he just keeps building and building like you know through history and also building like to uh like more and more sort of tragic stories of wrestling and but even the ones like so he talks about all these wrestlers who died but he also along the way talks about everyone else and you know it's it's great i highly recommend well, I just got it on my little Goodreads thing. So it's called The Squared Circle, Life, Death, and Professional Wrestling by David Dead Shoemaker. Dead. And, yeah. yes, he wrote for Grantland and Deadspin. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Wow. Okay, so let's get into the end. So it's a little bit ambiguous. It's not quite to the uh, extent of the uh, the inceptions of the world, right, where it's like, okay, what does it actually mean? Does it matter one way or the other? Um and there is an there is an official answer because Darren Aronofsky was asked enough times about the end of this movie before he finally did answer the film. So Randy the Ram is you know he's facing the Ayatollah. He's got his big comeback of like we said about a hundred people in the crowd. And enthusiastic he, people, we should yeah, say. yeah, that's true. They are they are definitely buying into everything that they're that they're doing, and uh, we have him sort of having some struggles with his heart after he had had a. After he'd had a heart attack with uh, with that sort of no holds barred sort of match earlier, and his uh, doctor basically said, you know, you you can't do this anymore. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And so we have this match going on, and again, we have him sort of struggling and and him sort of refusing to quit. And of course, he's got to do the ram jam at the end, right? right? Which and, is kind of like, you know, the Superfly's move. Or, you know. <laughs> Superfly or Randy Savage's elbow right, thing. Right. Like, yeah, whatever. yeah. And so uh, so he jumps off and then it fades to black. And what what do you think your interpretation was when you first saw it? And has it changed at all? Or, or are you fa- fairly confident about your interpretation at the end of the film? Well, my interpretation, I, I don't think it's changed since I saw it. I figured, I mean, and I still think, I think he he died. And he knew he was going to die. But I think... This way, he was going to die like he wanted to die. He wasn't just going to have his body break down over years. He wasn't just going to become more and more, you know, infirm. I mean, this was him. It's it was this was sort of how he would die if he could choose, and he knew it. And that's why, you know, he has a look. He's you know he has tears on his face, but it's so, sort of triumphant. And I don't think I don't think the movie works if he doesn't die. I think it's all been building up to this moment. And if if he doesn't die, well, it's like, well, what was the point of that then? You know, I think this is the end of the movie, and he dies. And... Yeah. Well, yes, you're exactly right. So Aronofsky was asked, <laughs> and he said, yes, he does die at the end. Yeah, he's got to die. And that's why, weirdly enough, I don't, I mean, it's obviously sort of a sad ending, but I don't think, I don't think it's a tragic ending, because I think he, he was triumphant in death, sort of, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. It's sad, but inevitable. Right. right. And also, did, have you seen Black Swan? Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> it's almost the same ending as Black Swan, really. <laughs> right, yep. I mean, Black Swan and this movie are, they have a lot of parallels. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's more strange imagery and, you know, this doesn't have the hallucination and the insanity that Black Swan does, but it does have somebody pushing themselves past their limits to achieve glory on stage and then dying at their, like, peak of you know, at the, at the peak of their achievement, then mm-hmm. they... 
I would have loved, though, to see right before Randy came out for his final match to see Mila Kunis in the mirror. That would have been outstanding. (laughs) (laughs) He's like psyching himself up and then he sees Mila Kunis and she's like, (laughs) that would have been great. I'm not really here. I'm not really here. (laughs) So, yes, I like the ending. I like the fact that he does die. I think that it's really important for me to think about how he dies and what happens in those seconds afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. Because, right, right, right. because um, Pam is in the audience by this time. She's there watching. And yeah. so it's so tragic for her because yes, he's, he's giving up on his life. He's essentially committing suicide. She's yeah. got to deal with the fact that she traveled to follow this guy and she broke these rules to get involved with this customer and then she goes and watches him die on stage. Right. This was her chance. Like, she felt there was a connection being made. This could be, you know, I could, my life could be nice. This guy and I, we could get along. And you know, good things could happen. And mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. She goes there. She, re- you know, she takes the big chance. She reaches out. She puts herself on the line. And it's not enough for him, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason. He liked her, too. But, you know, that just wasn't. What was going to happen? And I like the fact also, again, that like we mentioned that the, the daughter's not there. Mm-hmm. And I think that it it is a nice representation of showing that there are consequences to your actions in real life to where they don't reconnect. Like, yeah, he fucked things up and now he's he's basically dead because of his life choices that he made. Exactly. And you could see, like, again, we keep coming back to the studio. You could see, like, a studio saying, couldn't we just have her there, like, a shot of her tearfully watching or something? Yeah. You know? Can't she either be in the crowd watching or can't he see and then decide not to do it? Or can't exactly. you know, just all these bullshit endings I, are just flooded in my mind of all the ways that this movie could have gone wrong. You know, because it's like, and this is going to be, like, the most unromantic thing ever, <laughs> ever said about movies. And I love my wife. But in movies, there's always, like, there's somebody, usually it's a guy who has, like, a, a passion or, like, a, a thing he does, whether it's, it's you know, athletics or whether it's some science thing. And it's always sort of the love of a good woman that brings him through and, you know, leads him to his triumph. You know, even in Rocky. Mm-hmm. And in the real world, the opposite happens. People who do those things are usually do them to the exclusion of everything else and they push people away and they don't want the distractions and they leave, you know, destroyed relationships in their wake. And that's, you know, this movie just feels honest. It feels real. And, you know, at its heart, it's such a simple movie. I mean, you could almost predict the ending from the beginning of the movie, but it, but maybe you'd be surprised that it would actually go there. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what I like about it is, is you feel like the, this is inevitable but is the film going to give me what is inevitable or is it going to try to cheapen it somehow? Right. And I think that that's a little bit of the difference between a movie and like a good novel to where I feel like it's more common in, in novels to where you'll (laughs) see that sort of an ending. Right. I agree. And, and and again, and I've sort of said this before, but the thing about this movie that I think I really like is when you get to that ending and if like me, you assume he dies, it's not like, it's not like Requiem for a dream where it's just a, Here's one last punch in the gut for you. It's kind of like, you know, I don't want to say uplifting, but it's kind of like, okay, that's how it should end. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's not the saddest possible ending. It's, it's, you know, Randy, you know, he did what he was going to do. And, and it, you know, it, it doesn't leave you feeling like many of Aronofsky's other movies. <laughs> 
Well, and I like the fact that it is his story, and so that's how his story ends. Mm-hmm. To where they do cut it there. They don't show him being dead and then her screaming and running towards the No. Stage. They don't oh. show any of that sort of nonsense. So glad they don't do that. Oh, that would be <laughs> terrible. <laughs> right. Oh. Yes. Okay, well, that is the extent of my notes. Is there anything that we missed, Will, before we wrap it, wrap this one up? I don't think so. I okay. mean, I think, well, it's, I mean, it's a great movie. It's, it I don't know if it's considered a sports movie, but if it is, it's one of my favorite sports movies of all time. Yeah. It's, it's uh, a very, I think they had said something about how there was about 15 minutes of actual wrestling in mm-hmm. the movie, which seems like a lot more than what I thought there was. Right. Cause I just, you know, there's basically three matches. Yeah. And it's like I said, when you think about this movie, you don't really think about the wrestling matches. No. At least I don't. You think about the, the character scenes and, yeah. yeah, and I think it being him being a wrestler definitely is. Oh, it brings that little bit of nostalgia to where oh yeah, wrestling that's a thing that's a thing mm-hmm. when I was younger that I used to like you know and I think that that's a pretty uh, widespread sort of a thing and just to sort of look at what happens to these guys once their moment is over and the thing that no one really tells Randy that I think is just preposterous is he's always talking about how he's just essentially one match away from regaining his glory. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh God, because in that industry, there's no such thing as regaining because he doesn't look the way that he's supposed to look anymore. No, he's yeah. It's, I mean, but he, you know, and he, in some level probably knows that, you know, but it never, you again, a lesser movie would have that scene and you don't need it. You know, you, you, these characters are, are created and you inhabit them enough you can assume things about them without having it spelled out. Yeah. And I like the fact that he's, I guess I like the fact that he's just a guy. Like, you know, he puts on his glasses, he has his right, hearing right, right. aid. They have those little details, but he's not like exceptionally dumb or he no. doesn't, or he's not like illiterate and people have to sort of help him Mm-mm. to sort of build character or build sympathy from the audience or anything like that. You know, when they're, when they're showing him how to do, and I think the moment that really wins me over every time is when they're showing him how to work the counter and how to drop the chicken into the fryer. And and again, that fryer is the exact fryer my parents had (laughs) when I was growing up. So I was like, oh yeah, I remember that big red (laughs) son of a bitch. And, uh, you know, so it's those little things where he's like, okay, I got to do this, this, and this, and then push start. Got it. And so I like the fact that he is competent. Yeah, he's not. And and the other thing I like is um, along the same lines is, you know, you definitely conceived that when he was at his peak, you know, he was terrible to his family. You know, he just and not even abusive, but just, you know, he disappointed me. You sure he slept around, but he's so you have that. But he's not he's not like a mean guy and he's not like an arrogant guy. Now, he seems like a genuinely nice guy most of the time. But they never ignore the fact that he wasn't always a nice guy. You know, he's a he's a rich character. He's a guy who has a past, and he feels like he's lived a life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very good. It's a very good film. So if people haven't seen that, or maybe haven't seen it in a while, they should definitely they should definitely definitely check that out. So 
wrapping us up, if you have any comments, suggestions, or movies that you'd like to hear us talk about, or I guess directors that you'd like to hear us talk about, because I guess we're doing that kind of a thing for a while, you could email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com. You could follow the show over at Twitter. Our handle is at plainlabelpod. You could follow me over there. I'm at ericwilliams79. We also have a Facebook page and an Instagram account. Just search for Plain Label Podcast, and you'll find us over there. Say that you wanted to help us out a little bit. You could check out our show notes, and there you're going to find a link to our Amazon wish list. And you could also head over to Audible, like we had mentioned earlier, and you can get something for free just by signing up. So I do want to thank Will once again for coming on. If people wanted to hear more from you or get in touch with you, where could they do that? Uh, they could follow me on Twitter. It's uh, at Will Pfeiffer, W-I-L-L-P-F. E-I-F-E-R. I'm on Facebook, and I also uh, have a website that is sort of, uh, it's up and running, but there's some fine-tuning coming called Pfeifferland.com. P-F-E-I-F-E-R land.com. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. All right, so thank you for listening, and Will and I are going to be back next week to conclude mm-hmm. our discussion of Darren Aronofsky with the films Pie and Mother. 